the title of this sermon is Rest Your Hope on Christ's Return. Rest Your Hope on Christ's Return. I'm going to read to us the entire chapter 1 of 1 Peter, but we're going to focus mainly on verse 13. I just want to say what a privilege it is to be able to preach the Word of God to you. I'm thankful for Pastor Joel for giving me this opportunity, and I appreciate, I've asked a number of you to pray for me, and it's a team effort, so feel free to keep praying if you want. Uh, you'll get more out of it, so listen to God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 1. And let me pray for us before we read it. Father, thank you so much for your word of truth, which is the word of grace. Oh, how we need your grace. Oh, how we need your hope. Oh, how we need your healing. Oh, how we need your resurrection power. So, Father, we give ourselves to you, and we come taking your word very seriously because these are the very words of eternal life. Father, we come asking you to transform us by your word, by revealing your love and the hope we have in Christ even more deeply that we might be more like him for your glory. I pray that if anyone is not yet trusting in Jesus, if anyone has not yet embrace the goodness of the good news of Jesus and come to Jesus, we pray that today would be the day that they know new life in Jesus Christ through faith in him and his being perfect in our place, his being punished in our place, rising again from the dead and coming back to resurrect us in great joy and pleasure in his presence. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen now to God's word. This is uh, the first letter of Peter, remember Peter is the apostle who denied Jesus. And keep that in mind as we read this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining this outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied 
about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully upon the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is God's word. Are we thankful for it? So we're looking at God's call through the Apostle Peter for us to rest our hope fully on Christ's return. You know, uh, t- today's New Year's Eve. We'll be bringing in the new year. It's time where we think about time. We reflect on time. We reflect on times past. We look ahead wondering what the new year is going to be like. Uh, yesterday was my birthday. Thanks for all the Facebook shout-outs and the texts. Um, but before that, an even more important holiday, we had Christmas. And what I want to ask you, and it's kind of rhetorical, you can think about it, but what was your Christmas like this year? Um, for some of you, it was this wonderful time for me, just a peaceful time with family, um, enjoying the beauty of the decorations, enjoying great food, and enjoying good gifts together. Um, it was great. Um, the other day, my mom, my mom and Jim are visiting from out of town, so that's a, a huge blessing. And my mom and I went to Waterfront Thrift Store. Anyone been to the big one on Fairfield? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, raise your hand. No one's been to the... Okay, thank you. You can raise your hand as a Presbyterian. It's in the Bible. Um, and uh, I saw a couple guys that I recognized from when we served dinner 
there on third Thursday nights and when I've preached there. And we started talking, and I, I wasn't really thinking. I was like, hey, did you have a good Christmas? And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> like, they may have, but they're living at the mission and maybe in the, the rehab program, which if you're in the rehab program, your life's actually going well because you're seeking to grow and be set free. So that's good. But, you know, some of them may not be able to see their families or may not have been reconciled yet to their families. And, you know, I felt like maybe that was a little insensitive, you know. I don't know. But they said, you know, one guy was like, yeah, I've already forgotten about it. <laughs> um, so not everyone's Christmas uh, is the most wonderful time of the year. You know, some people, you know, that song's nice and stuff, but for some of you who just lost a loved one or have conflict in your family or are just dealing with things that no one else knows about, uh, depression, all those kinds of things, that song, it's the most wonderful time of the year, can be like a, like a little in your ribs, right? And so for some of us, um, this Christmas involved disappointment, conflict, or grief. You know, um, if, you, if you put something on your Amazon wish list uh, and then you saw it disappear, you're like, yes, I know what I'm getting. But, you know, if someone was shopping early, like, you know, December 24th, you'd have to wait. I'm just kidding. If someone was shopping earlier, you'd, you'd have to wait to open what, what you're excited about getting, right? And waiting can be hard. Um, for some of you, maybe you didn't get what you were hoping for this Christmas. For some of you, maybe you, you got what you wanted, but then you had invested a certain hope in getting this thing. And actually, this is not really about me, believe it or not. <laughs> but you, you're investing, you're hoping in this thing, and then it just didn't quite do for you what you were hoping to get out of it, right? And Peter, this morning, uh, is giving us great news. That as we have looked ahead to Christmas mornings and celebrated the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, that that's meant to point us to the second advent. God was faithful to keep his promises to send Christ on his first appearance, and he will be faithful to send Christ on his final return when he comes back. And so we have the ultimate Christmas morning waiting for us that will absolutely satisfy us. And it will answer all of our longings if we're trusting in Jesus. And that is the return of Christ. And so we can set our hope fully on Christ's return. So let's look at that um, together as we think about waiting. Um, if you ask a kid, uh, you can either have a piece of candy now, or in a week you can have this huge ice cream sundae with like extra sprinkles, layers upon layers of sprinkles. What might they choose? Depending on how old they are, they might choose the piece of candy, right? Um, because waiting is hard, isn't it? It's hard for us to wait. Um, you know, that why is it that the same person who is whining in the checkout line, not that I've ever done that, uh, is whining in the checkout line because it's taking them four and a half minutes, they're willing to wait 10 hours in line for a concert for their favorite band. Why, why, how does that work? Well, it involves our concept of time, our expectations, and how good the thing we think is that we're waiting for. It's our, our concept of time and our appraisal of what is truly good. And so, you know, I've, I've brought these books up here. 
And I want to read a couple quotes about this. Because one of the things I hope that God does for me more deeply and for you as well is to transform our understanding and concept of time and to stir up our longing and imaginations and understanding and appreciation for just how good the return of Christ will be. Okay, So I want to read a quote from this guy, James K.A. Smith. With any book, uh, I may not agree with everything, so if you look at a book that I've quoted and you're like, wait, he says this, hey, spit out the bones, but I think there's some good stuff in these things. So with that in mind, I want to read this to you on page five. A lot of contemporary Christianity suffers from spiritual, this is a big word, dyschronometria, which means an, abil- an inability to keep time, a lack of awareness of what time it is. Too many contemporary Christians look at history and see only a barren, textureless landscape. We might think of this as the temporal equivalent of colorblindness, a failure to appreciate the nuances and dynamics of history. We can't discern why when makes a difference. We don't recognize how much we are the products of a past, leading to naivety about our present. And this this is what I'm emphasizing. But we also don't know how to keep time with a promised future, leading to fixations on the end times rather than cultivating a posture of hope. Um, Another book that a book that I've been reading that has taken me forever to read, and like I've literally highlighted pretty much every page. There's dog ear after dog ear after dog ear after dog ear. I'm recommending it to everyone. Um, again, there's some more liberal theology that I don't agree with, blah, 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 but there's some great stuff in here. It's a guy named Andrew Root. He wrote this book called The Congregation in a Secular Age. Uh, there's other books, The Pastor in a Secular Age, Faith Formation in a Secular Age. I've read The Pastor one. I haven't read The Faith Formation one yet, but This has been so insightful to understand why my life feels the way it does, and maybe why your life feels the way it does too. Many of us are living in uh, what he talks about as a compressed present. How you experience the present. What does it mean? What does now look like for you? And for us, because of the advance of technology and our schedules and the pace of our lives, the present is compressed. It's like, well, this is the present, and then, oh, iPhone 15 came out. Now this is the present, and now this is the present. And I want to read to you some stuff from him about that that I think uh, is incredibly helpful. And see if this resonates with you. <clears throat> he says, our lives feel even more rushed because compared to the past, we are doing exponentially more actions inside the units of time. Technological acceleration doesn't give us more time for leisure, rest, and contemplation of our humanity. It gives us more access to more actions inside our units of time. This makes us feel busy. This this push to get more actions inside more units of time, to do more at a quicker pace, becomes part of our social norms. This desire to get more actions done is a good, even pushing us to blur lines between distinct units of time, doing actions set for one unit and another unit to catch up or get ahead, like brushing our teeth in the car. We call this multitasking or increasing a task or action within a unit of time as a way of quickening our pace. The innovation of email, I love this, the innovation of email ideally allows you to spend only 20 minutes on correspondence. Is that how that works for you? Oh, thank you for the gift of email. Now, 
I, I can do all my correspondence in 20 minutes, and I have all this other time to just kind of chill and be with my family. Is that how, what email has done for you? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Uh, it says, um, uh, the innovation of email ideally allows you to spend only 20 minutes on correspondence, but in reality, it creates the conditions for you to receive not five, but 55 emails a day. You now have the tools, if you push hard enough, to respond to them all. You feel frantically busy, increasing the pace of actions in this unit of time. But responding to 55 emails also gives you what? A sense of being in demand. All these people are talking to me. All these people want to hear from me. They're waiting with bated breath upon my reply. It's amazing. I'm, I'm in demand. He says your busyness is a sign that you're living with a kind of fullness which seems to accelerate the pace of your life by the week, threatening you with the risk of alienation from yourself and from the world as you rush. Does that resonate with anyone? How are things going? I'm just so busy. I'm busy, 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 busy. I'm so busy. I'm busy, busy, busy. You know, it's why you're checking emails on the john, to be frank. <laughs> you know? That, or maybe that's just me. Sorry. Uh, yeah, maybe edit that out. I don't know. Um, it's because like, you can't treat the present as the present. It's all chopped up and crammed down your throat. And this, this is killing us. And so what, what this book has helped me to think about is I think what Peter is, is doing in the New Testament is to transform our understanding of time and, and the future. Because a long time ago, the church used to keep time not by Silicon Valley's timetable, but by the timetable of the scriptures and of redemptive history. And this is what he said. They used to experience what's called a long present, not a compressed or shortened present, but it's all the present. Like there's a long present and kind of slows you down and helps you chill out just at least a little bit more. So listen to what he says here. Andrew Root says, the church keeps time by anticipating the return of Jesus. Unlike in our epoch, this anticipation does not compress, but lengthens the present. He says, the present is everything that occurs in the eon before Christ returns. Faith is formed in and through anticipation of the consummation, awaiting and anticipating the return of Jesus. The Christian life is a life, yes, of action, but it's ultimately a life of waiting. It's a life of waiting. It's a life of waiting in the midst of unfulfilled desires. It's a life of waiting in the midst of suffering, disease, and pain. It's a life of waiting in the midst of conflict. And in Peter's context particularly, and in the lives of many believers throughout the world right this morning, it's waiting in the midst of persecution. The Apostle Peter was writing to these Christians, primarily Gentile Christians, who were in the region of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. This was most likely in the 60s BC, in the era where the Emperor Nero was literally wrapping Christians in animal skins and lighting them on fire to light his garden parties at night. That pers persecution spread from Rome throughout the Roman Empire, and these Christians living in Asia Minor um, weren't just sad that they didn't get the toy they wanted for Christmas morning. They were dealing with some other stuff going on. And the Apostle Peter, who denied Jesus and wept bitterly about it, 
but who was graciously restored by Christ on that beach after Jesus rose from the dead, that apostle is trying to help us as believers avoid the same mistake that he made when we are persecuted and when we are suffering. And so that's what this is all about. The letter that he uses this language of like monetary uh, and uh, appraisal kind of language, like your inheritance and, and gold and silver and weighing what's worth what. To lighten it up a little bit, has anyone seen Antiques Roadshow? Raise your hand if anyone likes the... Okay, I love that. They, they come to, to the... All these people bring their stuff from, that's hopefully pretty old, and they bring it to these appraisers, and they look at it, and sometimes it's a real bummer. They're like, this is a Ming vase that my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather got from China, and he brought it over you know, when, with great hardship, and we, it's been uh, the centerpiece of our table for the last 50 years. And, you know, and he's like, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think you got your story right. You know, that's from 1978, you know, at some other pottery factory. And they're like, oh. And they try to keep their manners and stuff. But, you know, it's pretty rough. But then someone brings something else that they got at like a costume jewelry sale. And the appraiser looks at it and he's like, Oh my goodness, these are real emeralds. These are, this is not costume jewelry. <laughs> these are real diamonds. This is real platinum. And they're, and they're like, it's worth $300,000. Like, ah, you know, that's the glory of the right appraisal of something that is truly valuable. And that's what the Apostle Peter is trying to help us, these Christians, and us do is to, tr- to change our view of time and to grow in our, uh, our appraiser skills at what is truly good and what is truly worth waiting for. And that ultimate good, that ultimate Christmas morning is the return of Jesus. That's a long introduction, but I, want, I hope it's helpful to shape how you think about what we're looking at now. To read um, 1 Peter 13 again, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... With the literal phrase is girding up the loins of your mind. They would wear these robes back in the day. And, you know, you're kind of walking around with your robe. But if you're going to do something cool and active, you got to put them up and take a belt around so that, so that your robes aren't trip, you're tripping you when you're going to run a race or fight a battle or whatever. So he's calling you to wake up, uh, amp up, and, uh, and, and, and set your minds for action. He says, uh, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's a two-point sermon. You're like, shoo! Uh, rest your hope is the first point. On Christ's return is the second point. Okay, Rest your hope, and then Christ's return. Rest your hope. Um, that's implying that you've got, that you're hoping for something, right? <clears throat> If, uh, if hope was a gun with a scope on it, you know, you're kind of always aiming the crosshairs on something with hope, right? And so what Peter does in this letter is he addresses, uh, first of all, things that we either may sh- shouldn't be hoping for, you know, things that are bad, or things that we're trying to get that we're hoping for without having to wait for them and thus doing them sinfully, trying to get what we want uh, in a sinful way, without waiting. And so I want us to, to look at three things, three categories of things that, that we are hoping for 
but sometimes we, we, we hope to get them without having to wait, and so we kind of, not just kind of, we dishonor Christ in the way we try to get them. So uh, three things we're, we're, we're looking for, protection, pleasure, and promotion, or praise, okay? So we're looking for protection. You know, in this context, they're being persecuted. Wouldn't it great to not be persecuted, <laughs> to not be tortured for the name of Christ? Yes, Jesus even says, hey, if you can flee from persecution, get out of there. You don't have to be a martyr. If you can get out of the situation, go for it. But if you can't, stay steadfast to the end and don't deny my name, okay? But we are, we're looking for protection from persecution. You know, if you think about our own country, there's been kind of this Judeo-Christian backdrop for a long, 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 long time, and that is changing very much in terms of our culture in terms of the professors teaching our children uh, where they're coming from. It's a very different worldview that has ascended and has taken, I would say, cultural dominance, at least in lots of ways, in our country. And it even, I think, has influences on us that we don't realize. Um, and so sometimes what Christians are tempted to hope in is cultural dominance to give us protection from persecution. It's like, if we can just get more Christians to be in charge of the Roman Empire, like Constantine down the road, you know, maybe he was a Christian, maybe not, uh, shoo, we're free from persecution, right? If we get enough Christians to be in charge, we don't have to suffer anymore. We can get protection without having to wait. I want you to look at what Peter says later on in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. 1 Peter 4, 12 14. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised. This is the norm. Jesus said, if you love me, the world's going to hate you. Have you escaped persecution thus far? Great. That's wonderful, you know. But is it possible that America is not the only, is not just the one exception to all nations throughout world history and all ages in terms of what Jesus promised about persecution? You know, it's possible that some of you who are alive right now, before you die, will experience actual persecution like New Testament style, okay? And I hope that if, God forbid, but if that does happen, I hope that God would use what you're hearing this morning to prepare you for that. You know, ask yourself, either I'm going to kill your family or you deny Jesus. What are you going to pick? How important is that to you? If you deny Jesus, will God forgive you? Yes, he did Peter. But is Jesus important to you in such a way that denying him would cause you the greatest grief imaginable? I hope that God is reshaping how we see time and how we see what is good and how we see what is important. He uses this language of sobriety. Be sober-minded. It doesn't mean to be a killjoy, but take the things most seriously that are most serious. He uses this Conduct your stay here in fear kind of language. You know, there's a slavish fear that Christians are set free from, right? 
but there's a, an appropriate kind of fear, meaning that we take God more seriously than anyone else. We take him of the utmost weight of seriousness, where we're not flippant about God, where we're not dismissive about God, we're not like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to you later. I'm just doing my own thing. But where his, what he says is the most important thing we can ever, ever think about. That's what it means to fear God. He deserves to be taken absolutely seriously. And he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And so we, we try to get this protection from persecution but Peter says, don't be surprised. And that word fiery trial may be directly experienced by some of those Christians in Nero's gardens. Okay, And so another thing that we look for uh, in a way that we don't want to have to wait for, and so we do it sinfully, is pleasure. Um, look at, after our main verse, what Peter says about how we're to live. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, 14. What does he say? He says, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Elsewhere in this letter and in his second letter, he gets into all the gory details of, of what the, the sinful pleasures in the Roman Empire would be. You can do your homework on that, but don't read too close, okay? That, that we, we long for pleasure, but we want to try to get pleasure that we don't have to wait for. And so when you try to get most good pleasures, you have to wait for if to get them in a legitimate way, right? And they're like, nah, I don't think so. I think I'm just going to get it now. And we make shipwreck of our lives. There is grace, but there are consequences for our sin. And God loves us enough to want us to protect us from that. He's not trying to kill your party. He wants you to flourish. And so his commands are not burdensome, in a sense, because they're meant for our flourishing, if you keep the commandments, you'll be the most free person on the face of the earth. Okay? Good luck with that, though. All right. So, um, the next thing, uh, so he, he talks about that. And then the third thing he talks about that we look for without wanting to wait is promotion or praise. If you're trying to get promotion or glory or to be uh, praised and honored for who you are or what you've done, and, you don't, and you're like, but I don't want to wait for it. What does that lead to? Well, I'll tell you what it leads to. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 1. Look at how our hopes for honor, but trying to get it without waiting, what this looks like. <clears throat> 1 Peter 2, 1. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy <clears throat> and all slander. Okay. <clears throat> Few people probably wake up in the morning going, ah, who can I envy this morning? Because envy is awesome, and it feels so good, so I'm just going to envy people. Who could I slander today? Hmm, I don't know, because when you're slandering people, life is just so great, right? Who, who, who slanders someone? Who likes to catch people in their wrongdoing and, and tell other people about it? Who does that? It's someone looking for glory by comparison and tearing other people down. I know you can't relate to that, right? So this is just how you can counsel other people who deal with that, right? No one can relate to that, right? We, we try to get promotion that we don't have to wait for. So we, we slander or put down or talk bad about other people. And we're like, well, at least I'm not like them, just like the Pharisee. At least I'm not like that tax collector, Lord. 
You know, I know we never do that, right? Um, we try to get glory that we don't have to wait for. We also manipulate people to either get a higher rank or higher esteem. You know, we use people, we use them, we don't love them, we use them, like corporate ladder kind of style, we use people to get glory, to, to rob it for ourselves. And this is not for your flourishing and it's dishonoring to God. Because God is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of bearing the weight of all our ultimate hopes, okay? And so the, the Apostle Peter is loving us by reminding us that we should set our sights, take your scope, and adjust the distance by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards, right? To the future where Jesus comes back. You know, your spouse is not meant to carry the weight of your ultimate hopes. Your friends are not meant to carry the weight of your ultimate hopes. You know, your children are not meant to be your hope. The only person who can be your hope and, and stand the weight of that is Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's look at how we're called to rest in his return and how his return, for those who are trusting in Jesus, his return gives us all these things that we long for, but in a legitimate, glorious way. Let's look at the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is something you can be confident about. You don't know whether you're going to get what you want next Christmas, okay? But you know that you're going to get Jesus coming back because of the faithfulness of God's word and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's unavoidable. It's a party that's going to pounce on you when Jesus comes back. So let's look at how he gives us protection, pleasure, and promotion forever. First, he gives us protection forever. We, the church, will finally rest from persecution. Yeah, when you go to heaven, your soul is at peace, but that's not, what, that's not Jesus coming back. It's not satisfying, ultimately. You know why? Because in Revelation, the people that got martyred, uh, John saw the souls of them under the altar crying out to the Lord, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our deaths on those who killed us? <laughs> So there's something they haven't yet gotten, even though they're in heaven with Jesus, okay? Because our ultimate end, our ultimate hope is for resurrection. And we will be raised and protected forever. We will be unable to die. That's why Peter uses these words for a little while. In 1 Peter 1.6, he uses the phrase for a little while to talk about their persecution. That may mean that it'll end in this life at some point for them. But there, may be, there are many people for whom persecution did not end until the blade went down over their neck. Okay, And so this promise for a little while ultimately uh, points to the resurrection. It talks about suffering being temporary compared to eternity. And then 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, he, he says, and after you have suffered a little while, right? But let's look at what Revelation points us to uh, about our, our eternal protection. Revelation 21, 1 to 4. You know, uh, I've had the, the sad honor of attending and participating in a number of funerals recently. And some of you um, are fresh on the heels of the death of your beloved. And... Um, I'm really sorry for you, and this may not directly comfort you now, 
but I hope you can tuck it away for later um, about what Jesus has accomplished and what's going to happen when he comes back. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Death shall be no more. You will look for death and it's conquered. It's not around anymore. Everyone will be made alive, either for eternal torment or eternal pleasure, but there will be no more dead forever and ever because Jesus has conquered death by his finished work at the cross. Amen? It says, death will be no more. There's a poem by John Donne, uh, spelled D-O-N-N-E, about, it's called Death Be Not Proud. Look it up. It's awesome. And it gives honor to Jesus. Death will be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Those of you who are mourning right now and crying and in pain because you miss the people you love so bad or you're regretting horrible mistakes you made in your life and the consequences you're dealing with, there will be a time when Jesus comes back where there will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more grieving because we will be filled with endless joy being in the presence, body and soul, of the risen Christ. We're going to get pleasure forever. We get appetizers of that in this life by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1.8, he talks about this joy inexpressible and full of glory. You know, he says, having not seen, uh, seen you love, you have this joy inexpressible and filled with glory. But that's but an appetizer of the pleasure that we will have when Jesus comes back. Psalm 16 predicts, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You, you, every good, legitimate pleasure you experience in this life is but an appetizer of future pleasure beyond your possible comprehension. The God who created wonderful flavors, you know, and, and all the things you enjoy uh, is going to make all things new and better and our greatest pleasure will be intimacy with Jesus. Because how does God describe uh, our future? Back at Revelation 21.3, it says that he will dwell with them. All right? And then in Revelation 19.9, he describes what will happen at the end when he comes back in this way. I love this.
It says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the what? Marriage supper of the Lamb. God gave Laura and me an awesome wedding reception. It was so cool. It was in Birmingham at Ted's Garage with all these classic cars on different like levels and everything, and the food was amazing. It was great. You know, and and that's just a foretaste of the glory, you know? And and you know, when you're looking ahead to being married, engagement is hard. You're trying to behave, you know, trying to follow Jesus. Engagement stinks, right? Because you're waiting until you can be married and be together in every way. And that being together in every way is something God has created to point us ahead to the spiritual intimacy, not a sexual intimacy, but the spiritual intimacy toward, towards which that union points. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will have pleasure forever when Jesus comes back. And our pleasure will be ultimately in being able to be with him and to know him fully and to be known, to know that we are known by him fully. We know him even as we are known, it says in 1 John. We will know him even as we are known. We will be like him. We'll see him as he is and we'll be like him. And so we get promotion or glory forever. You know, God actually appeals to your desire to be glorified, to have honor. That's why the, one of the commandments, I guess the ninth, hopefully, right? Don't bear false witness against one another. What is that about? It's about protecting the glory and dignity of someone else made in the image and likeness of God. It's about honoring their name. You want every other human being to have a good name, right? Laura did this incredible thing for me for my birthday. And don't be offended if you didn't get one, you know, whatever. But she gave these cards, self-addressed stamped envelopes, these cards to a number of people in the church and said, David's birthday is coming up. Would you just send him an encouraging note? And I know I'm all weepy up here, but I, I can't thank you enough, Laura, and I can't thank you all enough for how encouraging that was to me. And we need encouragement. And so we need to, to, to have how God's using us in people's lives acknowledged. We need that. And many of you have that gift of encouragement. You are amazing at it. And that is a vital gift in the body of Christ because we are meant for glory. And there, there's, a, there's a, a bad idolatry praise of humans, but there's an appropriate praise of one another. We're honoring our name and, and refreshing us. And like, I see you. I see that you, you may not feel like you love God, but I see it in you, so shut up. You know, that kind of encouraging. Uh, I'm so thankful but we will have, we will literally, what? What is it called when Jesus comes back? What is that grace that is brought to us? What do we call that? Glorification. <laughs> we in Christ will be glorified and we'll give our glory to Christ. We'll throw our crowns on the ground and worship Jesus. But there will be a real glory and praise that we experience. That's why Peter says, your faith is more valuable than gold that perishes. Because through your faith and as it's tested and formed through suffering and waiting and patience and perseverance, he says in verse 7 of chapter 1, it, will be, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is God praising you. You will praise God, but, God, but seeing the glory of God is God delighting in you. God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You're like, I'm not good, I'm not faithful. Yes, you are in Christ. You know, that delight. You will get the ultimate encouraging letter of all letters forever and ever. When Jesus comes back, 
What does it say about us? The city of God, the new Jerusalem, it says, having the glory of God when it descends. Having the glory of God. The Apostle John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And then he says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I'm almost done. Colossians 3, 3 and 4 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And listen to what it says. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In glory. As you are meant to be. Glorifying God. Perfectly imaging him, just like Jesus does. That's what it means to be human. You have your humanity restored and glorified. So how can you know whether... The return of Jesus is something that you should look forward to or not, or if it's something you should dread. You know, it's a miracle that a sinner like me could actually look forward to Jesus coming back and, and the judgment of the whole earth. Like, isn't that arrogant? Doesn't that sound arrogant? Like, bring it on, Lord, come on back. You know, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? How can you do that? Well, Peter talks about this in verse 5 of chapter 1. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You can know that you should look forward to Jesus coming back when you trust in Jesus. He talks about this in, in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Read this with me. He says, knowing that you were ransomed, from the futile ways inhabited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. See his uh, Antiques Roadshow stuff happening right here? He's giving you an appraisal. You are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. As what? Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown or chosen before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for your sake. All right? The precious blood of Christ, who's a spotless lamb. Why is he emphasizing the blood of Jesus and the spotlessness of Jesus? It's because for the wages of sin is death. Blood has to be shed for sin. But in the Old Testament system, the only innocent, innocent creatures were animals. There were no innocent human beings because we're sinful. And so they would take a spotless, uh, blameless lamb who would be blameless in their place as a type or a picture of Christ. He was blameless in their place and then he was punished in their place when his throat was slit. And those things could only point to Jesus. They, they, the blood of goats could not, and bulls and goats could never take away sin. But John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is good news. God offers you permanent, a permanent, perfect record, full, free adoption into his forever family, and, and, and joy at the last judgment simply as a free gift that you can only receive by faith in who Jesus is and what he's done and not in anything you have done, will do. It's through faith in Jesus Christ, being perfect in your place, being punished in your place, and coming back to make all things new. That ultimate Christmas morning. If you don't trust in Jesus, please trust in Jesus.
because I want to be with you at that ultimate Christmas morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the first Christmas and for the cross and for the resurrection. And oh God, we thank you for your promise. Jesus, we long for you to return. Lord, thank you that you are coming back. Would you please reshape our lives? Would you please help us to live in the true present, the age of waiting, longing for the bridegroom to come for us and make all things new. We worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We give you all the glory and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.